Hi, this is Michelle Weidenbenner, your Chief Hope Builder. If you are here, it's because you have a loved one with a substance use disorder and you're looking for support. Well, you're in the right place because I help you along your journey um, to, to introduce you to different people, different experts in the field, and to share hope with you because so often we get stuck and don't know how to live our lives without trying to fix our addicted loved ones. So I am the author of Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up, Seven Steps to Self-Recovery. And recently I will be launching Unhackable Moms of Addicted Loved Ones, Closing the Gap Between Havoc and Hope. This is a 30-day program that can help you go from havoc to hope and learn how to take charge of your own life. Think of it as a leadership book for moms who are in the same situation that I've been in and out of for so many years. Um, Please find my books at Amazon or anywhere that they are sold. If you would like to join us in a private Facebook group, you can find us at Moms Letting Go in Facebook. And um, if you'd like to join us in the tribe for more sisterhood and support, just go to Teachable. That's momslettinggo.teachable.com and find us there. But regardless, you're in the right place right now and we want to encourage you on your hope journey. We want to be here for you. Um, I have a group of care team members who are all where you have been or are today. So we want the best for you. God bless. Thank you and welcome. It's Michelle, and today I have Beth Syverson. Did I say it right? Awesome. Um, And Beth runs a podcast called Safe Safe Home Podcast, and she's a mom, wife, musician, and as of 2021, a podcaster, activist, and a public speaker. You sound like me. (laughs) Since 2019, her son Joey has struggled with addiction to substances. Plus, he has a serious mental health issue. For the first year of that roller coaster ride, she and Joey were both derailed. Beth tried to fix Joey, and her supermom cape was tied on tight. But when nothing worked to fix him, she sought help for herself, which improved her own life and her relationship with her wife, Jan, and Joey. She and Joey created Safe Home Podcasts in August of 2021 with the purpose of helping other families avoid some of the pain we they've experienced. So um, welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's see. Here's a quote from you. Um, pain that's not transformed gets transmitted. We are trying to transform our pain into practical guidance for other families with struggling teens. Oh, wow. We really need that. So welcome. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it is totally my pleasure and the pleasure of those who are listening right now. So can you tell us a little bit about your story and what prompted you to start this? Yeah. So I had no idea that Joey was having any sort of problem for like two years. 
until we landed in the psych hospital after an attempt on his uh, suicide attempt. And it was a very big wake up call. The day after the doctor, you know, told us about the blood work that showed that he had many different types of substances in his system. And we're like, what? I mean, I didn't even know he was smoking wow. weed or anything at all. He was how, very, how old was he at that point? 15. 15. And, yeah. so and he started around 13, we think. And where do you live, Beth? We live in Southern California. Okay. So what um, what prompted you then to even get him? Oh, his attempt at suicide. Yeah. So prior to that, you had no knowledge that he was he was um, not feeling well with anything that was going on in his life. Wow. And yeah, he lived with his dad half the time. So and his dad let him use drugs. His dad knew about it, was supplying them for him. And so he was just using mostly at his dad's. But he did sneak it here, too. But he was just very sneaky, very good at hiding stuff. And I thought he was sullen and kind of slept a lot and kind of was separating. But I thought, well, that's what adolescents do. They separate from their parents. And I just thought that was normal. He's our only kid. And I didn't know. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know what to compare it to. So. Okay. So when he went into the hospital and how did you, how did you handle it going forward then? Like take us there because you were flabbergasted. You were like, wait, what? Yeah. It was a. Really, you know, really where do you go from there? It was really, really a tough day for sure. Uh, it just came out of nowhere. But I decided like on the way to the hospital that I could not keep this a secret. I had to tell, uh, and at that point I didn't even know about the substances, but I'm like, I need help. I need some people to walk with me through this. This is way too big for me. So we started a Caring Bridge page are you familiar with Caring Bridge? Yeah, I am. Yeah. It was very helpful. Cathartic. I did a bunch of writing on there and people were so, uh, they really came through for us for uh, for a long time on that. So, uh, and I, you know, even after we found out that he had, you know, an issue with substances, we just told everybody about that too. And Joey was on board with it. He's like, mom, I have no Fs left to give. So whatever. Wow. <laughs> so, and he really, even from the beginning, he says, Mom, if my story can help somebody else, that that will be a lot better than just uh, making us in pain. So, Yeah, like it brings purpose to his pain. Yeah. So yes. how old is he now? He's 18. Okay. And he's had um, several weeks at a time of recovery. And then he relapses again because he goes back to his dad's. Oh. Where it's super easy to use and he doesn't make him pay rent or you know do anything so it's a very tough thing we can't really compete with that at all so but he's trying to reduce his usage and he's using as much harm reduction skills as he can yeah does he want to go to his dad's well not kind of part of him it's like the devil on one shoulder and the yeah. angel on the other he knows that his dad is uh, is emotionally abusive. He knows it's going to be literally impossible to be sober living there. And yet, you know, the substance yeah. user part of him is like, well, dang it, this is super easy. Why not? Right. Just stay here. So he's he's got a big battle on his hands. And I've realized that I can't do anything about that. He's going to have to 
figure out some way. Unfortunately, it's incredibly expensive to get an apartment or anything around here. It's like $2,000 for one bedroom around here. So I don't, it's going to be hard for him to get out of his dad's house, yeah. you know, on his own, but that's kind of the situation he's in right now. So, so is there, are there sober living options? There are, uh, he's not interested in being sober at this point, but okay. if he ever is, we've told him we would help him get into a sober living, like pay for the first month or the whatever fees to get in. Um, we're particularly, I'm particularly interested in the Oxford House model. Are you familiar with the Oxford House? A little bit, yeah. I, I heard about one in our area once upon a time. I don't know if we still have it though. And somebody mm -hmm. said they wanted to recover. They were recovering from substance use disorder and he was all about bringing the Oxford House. But will you tell us a little bit about that so others yeah. know? Yeah, just a little bit what I know, but go Google them, Oxford House. But um, it's, a, I think, a global thing. But the, the thing about it is that each house is, is owned and operated by the people who live in it. So it doesn't, it's not a commercial thing. It's a nonprofit and it's, because um, there's a lot of sober living places that kind of just take your money and don't care what your kid does at this place. So um, this place, it's all about um everybody is responsible for their own stuff they all share the rent which tends to be a lot less than other sober livings that are for profit so it wow. seemed and you're accountable to each other they all have to vote to let you in and yeah if you screw up you're out <laughs> you know it, it's pretty strict at least for most i think each house is different but so you have to be careful but from what i've seen it's a little bit it sounds a lot better than just paying somebody money and they try to babysit your kid, but you don't have any idea what kind of control they have. Yeah. Our son and daughter-in-law were in a type of arrangement in Florida near the end of their year recovery. Mm -hmm. And it was horrible. It was just an mm -hmm. awful situation. And I think it was, it was that moment in their lives where it was like, we're sober. Now what? Like we can't dig out of this hole we don't know where to live. It's too expensive. We're working just to pay the rent. And there were more and more people coming to that sober living who were not, they were, he said at the end, they were like hooked on, um, oh golly, uh, the things that pump you up. What? Um, oh, steroids? Yes, steroids. Oh, wow. And, and they were doing tattoos in the house. And, oh, jeez. And it was him and his wife, and they had this little corner of the house. And so they had more than everybody else. And the police were starting to get called. They were so worried because they had probation officers. I mean, they were really trying to earn their way. Anyway, so I love the concept of Oxford House. And thank you for sharing that because it helps them take that baby step into responsibility yeah. and, and at least seeing a way out of yeah. the dark hole. And exactly. um, what a great concept. Yeah. I have to, yeah. thank you for sharing that. I have to research that a little, a little yeah. more. So um, I, I really liked having you here because so much of what I do is with um, adult, you know, um, parents who have adult children, mm -hmm. many of whom already have um, 
like guardianship of their grandkids, uh, right? Right, right, right. But your specialty is more the younger and those who are adopted. Yeah. So can you yeah. tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, so my son, we adopted my son when he was a baby, seven months old from Japan. And at the time, I just thought, okay, he won't know the difference. He's too young to know anything, and we'll just have our little life over here. And we did, and it was fabulous, mostly, except for I divorced his dad at four when Joey was four, which kind of compounded all of the problems. But it, Joey was really, quote unquote, fine until he hit adolescence. And then he was getting teased a lot because he's Asian and he was in a really white neighborhood and the bunch of racist people were teasing him every day. And he was just struggling with his identity and a lot of stuff was coming up for him. And so he went to substances and then everything sort of fell apart. But we identified, it took us a little while to figure it out, but another adoptee friend of mine said, hey, isn't Joey adopted? You might want to look into adoption trauma or relinquishment trauma. So we went down that road and luckily it was before COVID because he was able to get in some teen adoption groups and some adoption therapy uh, from an adoption therapist. And it really opened our eyes and I did too. I took um, some therapy from her too. open our eyes to like, oh, okay, you can't just take a baby away and just expect it to be just totally fine. There's going to be some attachment issues no matter what, because you're taking a child away from their their biology and for in his case also his heritage and his language and everything so we identified that as being kind of his core issue that and the divorce and so we're trying to help joey deal with these deep deep issues that most grown-ups don't even want to get anywhere close to but my son is so wise and i think he's an old soul and he's doing the work of going into that tender spot and figuring out how to find healing for that relinquishment trauma. And it is helping him to kind of crawl out of this um, this hole that has been created from the substances. But I think uh, it's important for people to realize that usually the substance is not really the problem. It's usually a symptom yeah. of some other problem, maybe mental health issues, maybe some trauma. sort of trauma yeah. attachment issues, something. They're looking wow. for something. So that's what we figured out is primarily is his issue is the relinquishment trauma. Relinquishment, relinquishment trauma. Very interesting. I wonder, and, and maybe you just touched on this for, for a minute, if there was support groups for other adopted children or adults, young adults, who were from different ethnicities mm -hmm. so that they could talk openly and be like, oh, me too. And yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, he had that for a couple of times and then COVID hit and then they did discontinue them, sadly. Um, but it certainly, I think, could be done in real life. Uh, I mean, on Zoom. In It doesn't have to be in real life. It could be on Zoom. And I know there are groups for adults. I, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Adoptees Connect is in a, for adult adoptees. But there's nothing that I know of for adolescent adoptees, but I hope to make one one day. Well, going... or encourage him. Or, yeah, or encourage him when he's over. <laughs> yeah, he would be really great at that to facilitate a group like that. But um, and maybe I'm... to empower him to just plant the idea in his head. 
You can yeah. tell him I said that. He doesn't know me. <laughs> well, I was talking to this lady today and she was saying, yeah. hey, maybe your son could do this, right? Because yeah. these, this new generation, there's going to be the metaverse. And where I see, where I imagine this, okay? So I, I'm just of this creative mind, but imagine those 3D glasses mm-hmm. and you go into this community with other adoptees. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting at the circle and everybody's talking about their life experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you feel connected and you feel understood and not judged. Mm-hmm. And you didn't even have to leave your home. Yeah, I know. that it's We need to harness that technology for sure. Because <laughs> I think that sense of community and knowing, oh, I'm not... I'm not the only one, isn't that, uh, that feels good just to know you're not the only one. So I will be pursuing that, but I, what I am doing right now is I've created a group for adoptive parents. Okay. And it's called Aptitude, like the first two letters are AP, like adoptive parents, Aptitude. And it's for parents who are willing to look at the struggles that adoption causes. You know, adoption is lovely, you know, we all, got our family created out of adoption. So, uh, you know, most of it is really fine and happy, but man, there's a a dark side to it that just for the adopted person is just really, really, really difficult. So I'm, I'm finding groups of adoptive parents that are willing to kind of go there with me. Yeah. Well, I'm an adoptive parent. I think I told you that, um, our youngest who is 27 now, um, was in a Russian orphanage Mm. till she was 25 months old. And when we adopted her, she was developmentally delayed. She was only 16 pounds. She could hardly walk. She was just very tiny. Goodness. Um, But she's real. I mean, she's barely five foot, 95 pounds now. And her, her shoe size is like a two and a half children. So she's petite. But you don't know that. I mean, when you adopt them, you're like, holy moly, she's really delayed, right? Oh, okay. Um, but um, she still was. But thankfully for us, I don't, we never, I believe that she suffered trauma mm-hmm. because she would be in situations and she would, it was like she would smell something and then she would get really hot and then she would be like, oh, it feels so good. And then run to the bathroom, like maybe she was going to vomit and lay on a cold floor. How old was she when she would do that behavior? Hmm. Probably elementary age. Wow. And we went to visit her friend one time in a hospital. And I had to, I had to take her out of the room and I had to, I mean, she practically passed out in my arms. So there was a time when I was in the States and she was in Russia and they went to measure her because we were, we just wanted to know like how developmentally delayed. And we told them it was just because we wanted to know what kind of clothing to bring. We didn't want to insult anyone. Mm -hmm. So they came back and communicated by a, you know, email or something at that point and said, no, she had a cold and she was in the hospital. So they weren't, she wasn't there when they went. Ooh. Well, in Russia, even when they get a cold, they just send them to the hospital. Whoa. <laughs> so you can imagine a toddler, you know, between, I don't know, you know, she was probably just 18 months at the time. Yeah. 
in a hospital by herself. herself. Now, but she has no, of course, recollection of any of that. She just got married. He adores her. Mm -hmm. She asked about, you know, her family. Um, We shared all the information that we had. She never really got that curious about. Mm -hmm. And and it was, it was this, I used to think that if all my kids, because the older two are biological, and then we adopted her like years later. So there's a 15 years difference and 11 years different. Oh, uh-huh. And um, her uh, her history that we got um, was that her mom lost guardian, guardianship of her own children because of alcoholism. Okay. And so we were like, oh, yeah. But yeah. that girl, you know, one drink and she was like, Oh, she can't, she can't really, she's not interested and she can't okay. do it. So, but never, never had any, I, I think, you know, it could surface later, but we've been really blessed. Um, but we always told her, God picked you of all the children in the world for us, for you to be a part of our family. You blessed us too. Mm-hmm. And so um, not that you didn't tell, you know, your son, Joey, that, um, but I don't, I don't know. I, it's just weird how some kids are, it, it's easier to accept, but yeah. I've got to believe, and I bet you know this, um, what the percentages are of feeling lost versus feeling okay with adoption. I don't know. I don't know that, but I know that there is a very wide range and everyone deals with it differently. But I do know that there's something like a 40% higher rate of residential treatment centers and suicide attempts and that kind of thing, jail for adopted people. It's wow. an extraordinarily Hi. large number. So. Wow. Wow. And sometimes they might not uh, talk about it or you know bring it up like, oh man, I wish I knew my birth mother because it's buried so deeply within yeah. them. Or sometimes, I don't think this is the case with you, but sometimes they don't want to offend their adoptive parents. Right. By bringing it up. Sure. Yeah, she said to me one time, I must be like my biological mother because I'm nothing like you. Oh. <laughs> but we laughed about it because it's true. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 But, um, Sounds like yeah. you're really open, which is great. Yeah, so, but... Okay, so um, on your podcast, tell us a little bit more about, um, do you interview people every week? Is it twice a week? And what what can people hope to to learn from? So we have a weekly podcast. Joey used to be on it at the very beginning. He was on about six or eight episodes, and then he relapsed. And I said, what do you want me to do with the pod? And he said, I want you to keep it going, Mom, and I want you to talk about relapse. So we have a couple of episodes about relapse, one of which is him in relapse talking to me, which I think is one of my favorite episodes. It's really sad. It's a sad episode, but I think we don't hear from our relapsed loved ones that are in addiction. And I think they have a voice that needs to be heard. So so that one I'm kind of proud of. And... uh, maybe help people realize that they still can talk to them. They're still there. They're still humans. <laughs> and right. to continue to develop that relationship, even if they're not as sober as you wish or whatever. That's and good. so, yeah, we talk about addiction quite a bit. We also talk about um, adoption. 
we talk about mental health and we talk about diversity. Uh, my wife and I are gay and we are really uh, prominent supporters of LGBTQ people plus neurodiverse people and just kind of bringing awareness to all sorts of different kinds of ways to be human. So sure. those are main topics. Wow, wow. Those are heavy. Yeah, heavy. I'm just curious. I, I have a TED talk coming up October 1st. Ooh, and um, if you if you applied for a TED talk, what would your TED talk be about? And this is for those listening, I'm just putting her on the spot right now. But yeah. because you have so many passions, like what would it be about? I think and I would love to do a TED talk. It's kind of on my big bucket list. I would love to do a TED talk about how to have a positive relationship with your child even even when even dot, when dot, dot. oh wow yeah. okay i i i'm hoping that you can find i find value in mine mine is um how to how to connect to your addicted loved one with peace oh lovely something like that. I don't know the title if it's in gold yet. So I share the peace way to listen and it's uh, an acronym PEAC. Oh. So it's just really about um, actively listening mm -hmm. without judging or without trying to fix um, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But I recently applied for a second one because that's what happens. You know, you start getting motivated and really say yeah. something more. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, it's now I'm more passionate about the model of care. Mm -hmm. And even when you're talking about, you know, Joey, he doesn't, he needs a place to go to. Well, where is that? Yeah. Here is the team approach yeah. to this problem. And there isn't, well, it's broken really bad. And um, I, I just can get really fired up about that um, in so many different ways. So that that would anyway, so I just kind of got off the subject, but it does tell us something about you and where your heart is. Yeah. And that is, it's so loving to hear you, even though your son is in active addiction, you're finding ways to connect. If if he had a heart condition, if he had diabetes, you would be right there with him. And if he chose to have a candy bar and and then take a shot of insulin, or I don't know how that yeah, works. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like we can't control what they exactly. do, and we but wouldn't just shut them out then. and love yeah. them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right on the same page as you for sure. Yeah. So, um, any any other. Um, any anything else you'd like to share with us? What's something that most people don't know about you? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> oh golly. Um, well, the other half of my life, I'm a musician. Oh That's yeah. That's my whole life. So this whole podcasting thing is a whole new thing from uh, last year. But yeah, my music life fills me up. And I love. Uh, here's something most people don't know: is I I'm a taiko drummer. I picked that up after Joey. Um, sort of fell apart and I needed something for me to create peace for myself. And so I was looking for something Japanese to connect with Joey on, but then he didn't want to do it. So I, I just kept going and I love it. It's that, you know, with the big arms and the big giant drums and the Japanese drumming. It's and, so fun. What did you call it though? Something drumming? Taiko. Taiko. T-A-I-K-O. T-A-I-K. I have never heard of that. 
Okay, gotta go Google it. It's so fun to watch and even more fun to do. That's cool. Where cathartic. did you find a teacher? Although you're in Southern California. I'm in Southern California. Where our studio is in Pasadena, where there's quite a large Asian population. So, but usually, if there's an, a university or any sort of Japanese population, there's usually a Taiko company somewhere in the big cities, at least. So, what was your instrument prior to that, though? What? Oh, what? I've been a pianist my whole life. Pianist, I'm a singer, and a conductor, and things like that. So. A singer and a conductor? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And uh -huh. so we're, are you currently doing that? Yeah, that's my job jobs. Um, I teach at a college and I am uh, a music director at a church. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Um, when, when I was a 17, 18 year old, I was going to go to college and become a, a musical therapist a music therapist it was called oh, yeah. uh -huh. and my mom was all about it because I was really thinking social work um mm -hmm. and so I got this teacher this piano teacher and he basically told me I was never gonna make it because I needed oh, to learn my sonatinas and I needed to do this and I was like whoo I don't know anything like it was pretty humbling and I thought nah I can't do it I don't want to do this yeah. I loved music but I didn't love it enough to work in it like that. Yeah. So I ended up with a business degree, but it's interesting because music, you know, it's still a part of my life, not as much as yours, <laughs> but um, you know, that's just a part of who, who we are when we're, when we love music that, that way. Oh, definitely. Yes. But well, thank you so much for um, taking time with us today. And if people want to find you, can you tell them, and I'll put it in the show notes too, but yeah. how do they reach you, Beth? Our website is safehomefamilies.com and you can find Safe Home Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. We also put it on YouTube because some people find it easier to listen on YouTube and we'd love to hear from you. I'm also on social media, Facebook, okay. Instagram, Twitter. So your Instagram, what's your Instagram uh Oh, I saw you on there. I friended you or I liked you or whatever that is. Okay, well, however do it. <laughs> safe home, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Safe. Let's see. Oh, God. Safe underscore home underscore podcast on Instagram. So I'm just curious where safe home came from. What made you oh. think of that? Joey and I came up with that name. We were thinking he was a baseball player and we were trying to think of analogies, you know, safe at home, that kind of thing. And safe at home was already taken. We're like, well, let's just do safe home. Okay. And it, okay. it really kind of encompasses who we are because we want our home to be a safe space, like literally safe, harm reduction, that kind of thing, but also safe for everyone to be loved okay. unconditionally and be, you know, uh, seen and nurtured and that kind of thing. So, right. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, it's been great to have you. God bless. Thank you very much. Thanks, you too. Thank you very much.